I am super glad that you're joining us this weekend because we get an opportunity to talk about something that's near and dear to my heart. And that is how you and I can literally change our world. And we do that through Kingdom Builders. Kingdom Builders is the way in which we show compassion to the world. We show the love of Jesus to those around us. We support over 83 missionaries through Kingdom Builders. We partner with some of the best ministries around the globe and we're involved in a number of different projects. Our goal is to, by next year, give a million dollars to missions. That's a pretty big goal. But I have another one that's even bigger, and I want you to be praying about it. And that is that one day, Newbreak would send 200 people full-time to the mission field. So you're going to hear from your campus pastor in just a second. We're glad you're with us this weekend. We hope that you're challenged. We hope you get vision inside of you. But that together, we will literally build the kingdom of God. Well, good morning, everyone. You guys can get out your Bibles. We'll be in two passages specifically. We'll be in a lot of different verses, but uh, Mark chapter 12 in the New Testament and Malachi chapter 2 in the Old Testament. And if you remember from last weekend, and those of you who are new, uh, we're using the message translation in Malachi to try and make it a little bit simpler or accessible for us, get our minds wrapped around it. But this weekend, as Pastor Robert said on the video and Kamar and them said, it's all about kingdom builders. It's all about this bl uh, brown card you have on your chair. Everybody pick up your brown card. Uh, the goal is to raise $120,000 between now and the end of the year to fund certain things. And we'll hear about that as we go along. And, but one of the most, I've been involved in missions really my whole Christian life because I became a Christ follower as an adult. And I became a Christ follower in a church that was built in Okinawa by Americans, uh, American Christians, built in Okinawa. And uh, so there was a missionary over there. And it was through his ministry, basically, that I became a Christ follower. So I kind of have a unique experience a little bit. Uh, and then just very early in my life, I just began doing missions. I suppose part of it is, is because uh, I grew up in a context where I never saw any church do anything for its community outside of its walls, and I never wanted to be a church like that. How many of you never want to be a part of a church like that? You don't, I don't ever want to be a part of a church that doesn't do anything for its community outside of its walls. I think uh, that kind of church is going to die in the next 30 years. There will be about 30,000 churches that will die in America in the next 30 years. They will die for one reason. One reason. They'll all die for the same reason. That's because they don't do anything missionally outside of their walls. And so they become these little holy huddles, and then they just die over a generation. And I don't ever want to be that kind of a church. I never wanted to plant that kind of a church. All the churches that we plant, we planted 300 churches last year. Part of how we fund it is through Kingdom Builders. None of those churches do life that way. None of those churches are built upon that premise. All of the churches we plant have this same sort of missional way, this missional idea. And early in my life, I just got involved in going on missions trips, which is an amazing thing. Next year, you'll have the opportunity to go on the Amore house build trip. I don't remember how many people we sent on that missions trip last year. Do you guys remember? Any? It was over 100. I think it was maybe like 145 or so. I don't know. A lot of people. And you can go on that this year. But I went on this one missions trip that was super cool and very spiritually formational in my life. It was a trip to Iquitos, Peru. Uh, at that time, I was doing a lot of medical missions. I love medical missions because, I, I don't know, I just dig it. I like working with the surgeons particularly because surgeons like have this unique worldview. They believe that a chance to cut is a chance to heal. And I kind of like blood and guts. And so I like it. I like to cut people. And then 
uh, you know, get the whatever it is in them out and then sew them up. It's like a miracle. Um, like one time I did this uh, surgery with this one doctor where we removed a pterygium from a guy's eyes. And we did one one day, one the next day. And so he was like blind. And so we removed the pterygiums and he was able to see like, like that week. It was like a miracle, like crazy freaky. Anyway, so it was in Iquitos, Peru. And it was with what's called Today Child Hope. It's one of our major global partners. You'll hear more about it, even via video in a little bit. But um, what we did was we went into Iquitos and we built a church. We planted a church, built the church. Then we built a school that worked in concert with the church. And, and it's, a, it's a system of breaking the cycle of poverty and spirituality in one generation. So what we do is we build the church, then we build the school, and, and then the school is free to the people in the village that are super poor, and then they grow up through the system, so they're discipled and they're given a smoke in education for no cost to them. Now we're building a medical component out behind it. And this was one of, one of my early experiences, and it was very powerful for a lot of reasons. One of them was the history. Uh, Iquitos is a city lit that's on the Amazon uh, River. I'd never been to the Amazon, so that was just kind of cool all in and of itself. And flew into Lima and then took this tunnel. This is a long time ago. It was like 30 years ago. So we took like a wagon train. No, we took like a, like a whatever to get to the city. Oh, oh, another fun thing. Okay, so it's Iquitos, Peru. So in this case, all of my luggage was sent to Quito, Ecuador. <laughs> uh, the surgeon I was a roommate with, he was just a young doc at the time. Bill Bugby is a famous orthopedic surgeon in the city now, but uh, Billy happened to be my size, so it was perfect. I just used all his stuff for a couple of days. Uh, but what we did was we went in and into this place. The school wasn't even open yet, but we were doing these medical outreaches because what was happening was the Amazonian Indians were getting crushed economically because the city was polluting the water of the river. And so the fish were dying all, all over upline, downline, right? And so it was affecting them, so they would then mig migrate to the city. But they were super, um, basically, prejudiced against the Indians. So they would shun them, and they had to settle in this floodplain of the Amazon, which was basically the sewer of the city. Like, it stunk like you can't even imagine. How many of you have ever been in an outhouse on a hot, sweaty day? That is nothing like that, right? It's just precious. So the, <laughs> the, the, whole, the whole community was like that. And so it was really powerful. And the whole community was built on stilts because it was in the floodplain. So it was built on stilts. It was really trippy. And when the uh, river would flood, it would sort of like flush, right? You, you picking up what I'm laying down? So it was really disgusting. So we just, we just made an incredible impact. And now hundreds of people have been ministered to and discipled and helped as a result of our involvement and, and our engagement there over the years, and I just realized my clicker is not on my table. By the way, while they're bringing me my clicker, I have to show you my table. Somebody made this for me while I was in the Holy Land. It's super sick. It's heavy, okay? But look at it. It was probably my fault. I probably left the clicker back there. But check it out. That's nice. This dude found out I like this kind of stuff. And so he made it for me. It's super heavy. Like I can hit it and it doesn't fall over like the other one. It's pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> what I discovered was kind of like the reality of this, that God's unconditional love is the beginning 
Now, it's true in your life. Like in your life. If you haven't given your life to Jesus yet, you're just starting. You're, you're just becoming spiritually curious like I was uh, when I was in the army. But, but this is what's happening. It's his love that's infecting you. And the result of that is that it'll, it'll change you, but not just so you can be changed. He wants to change your world. And you and I are the key to it. We're absolutely crucial to it. And it's his love that drives, okay? It's his love that drives. His love demands a response from us. We cannot have the love of God without doing the things of God. In the case of this example this weekend, it's this, uh, it's this you know, it's kingdom builders. But it, it looks like all kinds of things in our lives. Like when you help Kamar at the uh, Christmas in Tierra Santa thing. That's the way it is. You can't help but do these things. The more you experience the love of God, the more happens in your life. Now, I wanted to start with the words of Jesus. So go with me to your, in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be in Mark chapter 12, uh, specifically the verses 28 through 34. And, and I'm doing this very purposefully. We are in a series in Malachi, but sometimes you think uh, that, that Jesus was this super departure from the Old Testament. And it's just not the case. Okay? It's not the case. It's not true. So in this scene... He's in Jerusalem, he's in the temple courts, he's uh, teaching and debating with the other Jewish scholars of his day, which would be normal in first century Judaism, and so he's debating and discussing and so forth, and he's just gotten done with this discussion with the Sadducees, which many of them in Jerusalem were very corrupt. They were not the uh, majority party, if you will, in the uh, kind of religious politics of the day of uh, first century Judaism. But they were in power in Jerusalem. And they, some of them were incredibly corrupt. And last weekend I taught you the difference between a Pharisee and a Sadducee. How many of you were here last weekend? Raise your hand. Uh, Fifteen of you. Where were the rest? <laughs> uh, anyway, anyway, <laughs> anyway, remember I taught you the fundamental difference between Pharisees and Sadducees. What did the Sadducees not believe in? Resurrection, that's right. And that's why they were? Uh, very good. <laughs> yeah, so, so he's, but now in this scene, we know from Matthew 22 that, that he's now discussing with a Pharisee, which Jesus himself aligned with. Jesus was much more of a Pharisee, obviously. We looked at that last week. And also likely uh, aligned more with the school of Hillel than Shammai. And so, so, he's, so this expert in Pharisaical law comes to Jesus, and he brings a question to him. Notice in the text, Mac, uh, Mark chapter 12. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now the Pharisee would know the correct answer. He would know the correct answer. So look at what Jesus says. Jesus answers him, and he answers him with what's called the Shema. Everybody say that word. Shema. Shema means hear. Okay, so he answers him with Deuteronomy 6.4. You might write that down if you're taking notes. Deuteronomy 6.4. And Jesus says, he kind of sums up all of the Old Testament in two things. One's vertical, one's horizontal. And what he intends by doing this is that the horizontal is the evidence of the vertical. 
So what's he say? He says, look at your Bibles. He says, love the Lord. Notice how it starts, by the way, with the word love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Basically with your life, with everything that you are. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then he says in the text, he says, and the second is like it. And so the Pharisee would know exactly where he would go. Remember, he's an expert in the law. And so Jesus then quotes Leviticus 19.18. If you have some kind of study Bible, there'll be a little footnote next to it that'll tell you it's Leviticus 19.18. And so he says, the second is like it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And if you're familiar with the idea of neighbor, both in Old Testament uh, Yahwehism and then Judaism and then Christianity and Jesus, Jesus spends a lot of time defining neighbor. Remember, he's, he's in several scenes throughout the Gospels. One of the most famous parables he ever gives is about defining who your neighbor is. Anybody know what the parable was? The Good Samaritan, which has everything to do with racism and bigotry. Just like in Iquitos, Peru. Just like in your neighborhood. Just like everywhere in the world. And so he uses a Samaritan who would have been incredibly prejudiced toward the dude in the ditch to blow up the idea of neighbor, to be global in scope. And then there's kind of a funny part of the story. Look at the Bible. It's, I think it's kind of funny, right? This dude's an expert in the law. He doesn't really know who Jesus is other than he's a rabbi and he's very wise. And, and so I just think it's trippy, right? So the expert in the law says to the Son of God, well said, teacher. <laughs> I, I just think that's funny. Maybe it's just me. <laughs> he goes, you are right in saying that God is one and that there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now, something that's often misunderstood by uh, New Testament people is that you, you think that all of the burnt offerings and the offerings and sacrifices of the Old Testament are, are meaningless now, uh, which is simply not the case. They don't become meaningless until A.D. 70 when the temple is destroyed. And then they're not meaningless. It just no longer can be practiced, if you will. Uh, this is obviously the case if you're a student of Scripture because you know from later on in the book of Acts when James, uh, Paul comes to, the, to Jerusalem where James is sort of the spiritual leader, if you will, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And, and he comes to James and James says, Hey, Paul, you're teaching all the Jews all over the world no longer to follow the law. And Paul says, I am not. And James, so they have this discussion about this. You'll see this in the book of Acts. And then James instructs Paul, go to the temple and offer a sacrifice. And by virtue of doing that, of course, Paul would do what all first century Jews did prior to offering a sacrifice. That is that they would go to any of the various baptismal pools around the temple and they would self-baptize. They would self-immerse three times. And then he would go up and make the offering and make the sacrifice. So Jesus, remember, we're in a t kind of a time between the times in the days of Jesus. But Jesus is in response to this uh, professor, really, this rabbi who's just an expert in the law, one of the main guys in the thing. He, and it says this, when Jesus had said, saw that he had answered wisely, he says this. 
He says, because of his grasp of loving the Lord, God, with all your heart, and loving your neighbor as yourself, which is what the offering dimension of first century Judaism and all of Old Testament Yahwehism would be about in the offerings, the way they would care for the poor were primarily their offerings. He says this, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Isn't that beautiful? Which begs the question, am I? Are you? Like, do we grasp the ways of the kingdom? Do we grasp what's going on? Now let's flip over to Malachi. Go to Malachi. Malachi chapter 2. Now next weekend we'll look at his discussion of uh, tithes in Malachi 3. We're going to read 2.17. It's kind of in this eclipse of the discussion between God, Malachi, and the Israelites at the time. Remember from last weekend, the Israelites at this time, this is 430 roughly B.C., 430. And the people, this is post-exilic. So this is after the people have been you know, conquered by the Babylonians and the southern kingdom and the exile of 70 years is over. That's where the book of Daniel comes from and all kinds of stuff. And then they're brought back to Israel. But it's incredibly corrupt at this time. I taught you this last week. Like, like, like in this day, the people, uh, the priesthood is a mess. The temple worship is all wrong. The, the people of God are, are, are becoming incredibly abusive to the poor, not only in Israel, but the foreigners that are in their midst. And, and there's obviously the divorce and remarriage issue in the, uh, that we talked about last week. And, and all of this is happening. So, so in this context, now I'm going to read from the message, by the way. So you can follow along in whatever you have, the NIV or whatever it is. It's just that this is a little wordier and hopefully a little simpler. But um, God, Malachi says to them, you make God tired with all your talk. What's, he, what's the talk he's referring to? He's referring to their prayers because they're rotely repeating prayers and doing religious things without the right heart, which is always the danger of you and I. Like, why are you here right now? Are you here to hear a word from God? Are you here to grow spiritually or you might be here under duress. Your husband or your wife brought you. And so you're being, you know, helpful. You want to be encouraging to her or him, whatever. And, and so you're here. That's okay. That's often the beginning of things. And then God begins to do a work. He wants to change us from the inside out. Always. That's why we're in a prophetic book. But a sermon is potentially always prophetic. What does that mean? That means a sermon, God wants it to always be a fresh word into us about our current spirituality and what we're doing in the earth. Or it'll fall on deaf ears. And that becomes the dangerous ground where we're checking boxes, right? Because that's what they're doing. God's tired with all your talk. He doesn't even care about it. Get it? That's what he's saying. You're tiring God out with all your talk. Tell me what he says. How do we tire him out? But now, they're super cynical at this time. Okay, there's been this cynicism that's crept into them. Oh, you know, God doesn't care about sin. In, in, in uh, the paraphrase of uh, the message, it says, God loves sinners and 
sin alike. Uh, in the in the NIV, it says, by saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Remember, God loves us no matter what our lives are like, whether we're pleasing him or not. But when we're walking in ways that are displeasing to him, it sort of like blocks his ability to bless us and use us. And so in effect, from our vantage point, it's kind of like we're blocking the love of God. But that is simply an emotional uh, feeling, if you will. That is not true. You can walk away from God right now and walk your whole life away from God. He still loves you more than anything. How many of you are dads? All dads get this. I mean, I, mean, I know, sometimes you want to kill that kid, right? I get it. <laughs> I relate with it. I'm just saying, and, and in that case, we're not being like God, but, 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 but God is the perfect father. There's nothing you can do as a son that makes you not, him not love you anymore. It's just that you don't experience it because he's not codependent to you. So your dad will, like, you know, you know have boundaries towards you and all that kind of stuff. And, and God will do the same thing. God will discipline us and, and or bless us, depending on what the Bible calls blessing and cursing. We'll look at that next week. But anyway, so it's, it's all of this kind of idea. And then it says uh, that he's pleased with them. Or, or this, where is g the God of justice? Because the spiritual ones in Israel are seeing that they're not being godly. Why isn't God judging the injustice? And so now Malachi says what God's going to do. Look at uh, verse 1 now of chapter 3. Look, I'm sending my... Now, this is a little complicated, okay? That's why I chose the message. Hopefully, it'll be a little simple, okay? Look, I'm sending my messenger on ahead to clear the way for me. Now, the word messenger is sort of a play on words. Uh, everybody say this with me. Malachi. Yeah. Uh, turn to your neighbor and do it. Malachi. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Who's the book written by? Malachi. We say it Malachi. In Hebrew, it's Malachi, which is really cool, right? <laughs> anyway. Uh, and so the God sent. Now, we know from Matthew's gospel, this is like a telescope toward the future. We know from Matthew's gospel because it tells us that John the Baptist is the fulfillment in the our future, be like 400 years or whatever, like 400 years forward, the fulfillment of that, the messenger. Now, he's going to talk about the Lord in a minute. That's going to be ultimately the coming of Jesus, and we're about to go into the Advent season, okay? So it's the coming of Jesus, which is in a certain way a next phase, for lack of a better word, of the kingdom of God breaking into time and space, and what we call the incarnation, Christmas, Okay? But it'll ultimately have ramifications toward the end of the age, the end times. So judgment will come in phases. Messengers will come in phases. So look at how Malachi puts it. Hopefully that'll help you understand what's about to be read here. Look, I'm sending my messenger on ahead to clear the way for, the, uh, for me. Again, Matthew 11:10 says that's John the Baptist. Suddenly, out of the blue, the leader, that's the Messiah, the leader you've been looking for will enter his temple. Now, obviously, Jesus does this. He's in the temple in Mark 12, okay? So, obviously, this happens, you know, in the foreground of Jesus in the temple, but in the future, in the end times in the temple, okay? Yes, the messenger of the covenant, 
the one you've been waiting for. Look, he's on his way. A message from the mouth of God of the angel armies. But who will be able to stand up to that coming? Who can survive his appearance? This is the, now he's leaping forward into the second coming of Christ. He'll be like white hot fire from the smelter's furnace. He'll be like the strongest lye soap at the laundry. He'll take his place as a refiner of silver and as a cleanser of dirty clothes. He'll scrub the Levite priests clean because uh, they were incredibly corrupt at this time. Refine them like gold and silver until they're fit for God, fit to present offerings of righteousness. Then and only then will Judah and Jerusalem be fit and pleasing to God as they used to be in the years long ago. So it's kind of like a rewind back to, you know, like the Aaronic priesthood and everything and the varying times that they were godly. Yes, I'm on my way to visit you with judgment. And then we have one of the most fascinating lists of sins in the Old Testament. And I want you to pay careful attention to this. Look at what's first. Look at what's first. I'll present compelling evidence against sorcerers. Now, sorcery was a huge deal in 430 B.C. Remember I taught you last weekend, part of the thing that was going on is they were merging other world religions with Yahwehism in the Old Testament. So they were merging the worship of Baal, the varying gods, Moloch, which was the one who particularly was into child sacrifice. They were merging all of these religions together. But sorcery was a huge part of it. Listen to me. Sorce you are surrounded by a philosophy of sorcery in your neighborhood. What do you mean, Pastor Mike? Okay, how many... Well, I won't do it that way. Um... <laughs> I warn you all the time. I do it at least annually at the San Diego Fair. Don't go into that little white tent where there's that little hippie lady in there who's going to read your fortune. You're never allowed to do that from a biblical perspective. Sorcery is fortune telling. It's tarot card reading. I live in OB. There's sorcery everywhere in OB. It's in astrology. All of that is sorcery because all of it is paganism. All of it is basically you trying to control God. And this is why it is absolutely against the will of God. And by the way, if God ever wants to show you your future, he will do it. And generally, just to be honest, you really don't want to know it. <laughs> I mean, you really don't. Jesus had a lot to say on this subject. He said, live your life one day at a time. He says, every day has enough what? Trouble, worry. So don't worry about tomorrow. Look at the lilies of the field. Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount. So anyway, I, I just think it's in interesting. There are many famous lists of sin in the scripture. But this is one of the more famous ones. And I think it's fascinating that he starts with sorcery. And then it goes on. Look, it, you know, it goes on to adultery, of course. Uh, technically, adultery is uh, sex when you're married, uh, having sexual relations with another married person. Okay, that's the formal definition of of adultery. Uh, you have other variations of it, but anyway. Uh, and, and notice uh, he says, he says lying? It's just an interesting list, right? I mean, look at, look at the list. This is like liars. Oh, and then he gets into the subject at hand. Uh, those who exploit workers, those who take advantage of widows and orphans, and those who are inhospitable to the homeless, anyone and everyone who does not honor me. So you see, there is continuity between Jesus and Malachi. They're not saying things differently. 
It's just a different point in the kind of time map. And our love for God is revealed by how we love others. That's the, that's the way it works in our lives. We cannot say, oh, I love you, God, with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, and don't care for the poor. That's like, that's like, a, that's like from a biblical perspective, that's just not even logical. It's certainly not biblical. And I, I already read the Malachi passage, but look, God desires to defend the defenseless. Workers, widows, orphans, homeless, foreigners among you. He, this is what he does. This is the way it works. And by the way, this is true in Isaiah. This is true in Ezekiel. It's not new with Malachi. It's not new with Jesus. It's cover to cover in the Bible. It's like the way we love our neighbor. Psalm, uh, this is the book of Psalms. Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. It's everywhere in scripture. Now, part of what, okay, so Pastor Mike, what do we do with this 120 grand? We actually, uh, this year, will probably, I don't even know how much we'll raise. We'll probably raise about a half a million dollars. And so you heard Robert already say that we support 83 missionaries, okay? 83, just think about that. So 83 missionaries out in the world are dependent upon us for funding. Not us only. I mean, they get funding from a lot of places. But there are special projects that we adopt. And you're going to hear from this amazing woman, Jennifer Jensen, her and her husband, Clark. I'd fly them there if I could, but I'd fly them here if I could, but I can't. So listen to this uh, account of what you're doing in Nepal. Hi, I'm Jennifer Jensen from Global Family and the Daughter Project, and I am talking to you today from our brand new international ministry and training center here in Falkirk, Scotland. Um, we invite you to, to someday to come visit us here. Um, but today I'm talking to you about the family home that you support in Kathmandu, Nepal. Um, if you don't realize already, um, you have been a part of this effort from day one. Um, because early on in the work that we're doing in Nepal, uh, we established a shelter. A shelter for young victims of human trafficking and systematic abuse and exploitation. Um, and through that shelter we have seen um, hundreds of children come through, most of which um, need short-term care, they need, um, they need help with mental health, with um, physical abuse that they've encountered, separation, all of the things that would go into providing that temporary care. Um, and happily, most of those children are able to be restored back home with their families in the different parts of Nepal from which they come. Um, but there is a percentage of those children who are not able to go home. And that's where the project that you have started and that you have funded comes from, and that is a family home. So we have created just that, a family with a caregiver couple who takes these children in to create a family setting. It is not a children's home, it's not an orphanage, um, or look anything like an institution. It's a home with eight beautiful children um, that go to church together with their parents, that go to school, receive all the medical and other care that every child deserves, and it's happy and it's healthy and each one is unique and allowed to grow up as, um, as they were designed to do. Um, we do have one kind of exciting story of a little eight-year-old girl that we received three years ago. Um, she's been with us and after extensive work at the time to locate any family um, that she belonged to, um, we exhausted those resources 
Um, but just a few months ago, we received word that she does have grandparents who are um, capable and able and really willing to receive their granddaughter back home. And this was very exciting because we thought that there was no, um, no family for this little girl. And so just recently, we were able to restore that girl back home in her home village with her grandparents and her cousins. And she is happy, um, she's doing well, she's very happy to be home and within her own culture. So that gives us an opportunity to place one more child in the family home that you support. And I just wanna encourage you as you go into your missions weekend that this home is a home for children who don't have anybody else to care for them. Um, they've come out of situations where they've been trafficked and or exploited, and so this home makes the difference between them being at risk again or moving on to, to become no longer victims, um, to be happy and healthy, restored children um, that we that are as precious to God as our own children. So I just want to encourage you to give and to participate in this. Um, we'd love for you guys to come to Nepal and see it um, firsthand and meet our team that are so fabulous and work so tirelessly. Thank you so much on behalf of all of our team, um, especially our team in Nepal, um, for supporting this project. Not amazing. It's really incredible. I've known them for a long, long time. And just the story of the eight-year-old, because uh, I have grandkids. Like, I can't imagine being an eight-year-old girl being trafficked like that. And can't go into a lot of details. We, as you know, do a seminar once in a while on trafficking here in, in America and kind of educate us and globally as well. There's all kinds of ways in which this happens locally. We're obviously involved locally in this situation, but globally as well. And once more, we are simply being biblical. This is Isaiah. Isaiah 1. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. And remember, when I started, I started talking about child hope. Child hope is this amazing kind of school environment that we are involved in. You guys have made an incredible difference in Costa Rica, and it's so powerful, it's becoming so viral, that they kind of want to build it out across all 23 countries in which they are in. Mary Mann, who we've had here before speak and so forth, she's going to talk with you about what we're doing and what the dream is of the future from what we're doing in Costa Rica. And then the medical component, we're doing that in Nicaragua. So you'll hear from uh, Bonnie and Levy. So watch this. Hey, Newbreak, I just want to thank you so much for believing many years ago in what was merely a vision that was Chicas de Promesa and now Chico's Champions for Change. I don't know if you realize, but Newbreak Church gave me the first chunk of money to be able to put this dream into action. And it was because I had that money in an account that my boss gave me the go ahead to move forward. And what we've seen now is this wonderful ministry, Chicas de Promesa, that's a girls empowerment club. We help empower girls to be able to face the challenges that they have, having been born into poor communities in Latin America and the Caribbean. And we help them to just imagine a different future for their lives. The Chico's Champions for Change is making a difference in the lives of young men in these poverty communities. We're helping them to become champions to bring about change with the power of the Holy Spirit in their neighborhoods. And right now we have five other communities where we have Child Hope Schools and we want to start the Chico's and Chica's program. But we don't want to merely stop in Costa Rica. Child Hope works in 21 countries throughout Latin America and in about 300 schools. And we would love to see these ministries also in those communities transforming the lives of 
literally thousands and thousands of children throughout the region. And you can help change the lives of children like a little boy named Alex. He came to the Child Hope School in Caracas, Venezuela many years ago. He lived in a community that was filled with poverty and violence. And yet God placed in his heart the desire to succeed and to become a medical doctor. And I am just so happy to say today he is a doctor and he's serving the people in his own community. In today's Venezuela, he is there serving others and helping the needs of these people that are suffering so much right now. And you can be a part of it. And I would just ask you to partner with us and help transform the lives of these children. Just like Newbreak helped years ago to get this ministry launched, you can help carry us through to the future and reach many, many more children throughout Latin America and the Caribbean. This is Bonnie and Levis. Hi, this is the Hernandez family here in Nicaragua. Hello, amazing people of New Break Church. We thank you so much for standing with us, for supporting us, and for being a part of our ministry here. We are the country coordinators with the organization of Child Hope, formerly called Latin American Child Care, with 23 schools that we're helping here. But now we're also working in a clinic that you guys have been helping us with. And we are so very grateful for all that God is doing and for allowing you guys to be a part of that. We've seen people come being carried by hammock, like four people from a nearby town that they walked three hours carrying somebody on a hammock to our clinic. And he knew that he wasn't going to be able to make it um, walking by himself. So the brethren helped with um, bringing him by hammock and he was able to see our doctor and to get the, the lab tests and results within a day gave him his medicine and he was able to begin uh, to take that trek home by himself but if our clinic wasn't there he'd have to come to the clinic take that time see our doctor and then go up three to four hours in this big uncomfortable truck go up to the main city stand in line, wait to have your tests done, wait the next day to get your results, come back down and then see the doctor again. And so the fact that we have a lab now on site, um, we are able to diagnose our patients very quickly and it's just meeting a, an amazing need. And we're just so thankful that you guys are on this journey with us and we thank you and invite you to continue to join us. The head department says, you guys come here this is a very malaria pandemic area i said we can go wherever god sent us to bring the good, good of jesus christ and we say we want to make a different people's life we want to impact them with the good news of jesus and thank you for believing in us thank you for believing being with us right here in nicaragua praying for us and, and making a huge difference Right. Dios los bendiga. Thank you guys so much. We love you. Isn't that awesome? I've known Bonnie and Levis and Mary for a long, long time. I remember when Bonnie and Levis fell in love and got married. and It was just a wonderful thing, you know. Bonnie thought, oh, I'll never get married. Levis thought the same thing, and then they meet each other. <laughs> so it's, it's just very cool, very cool. This is actually a picture of uh, my wife, Teresa. This is my grandson, Cody. This is a few years ago. We are at the Child Hope of school that Mary basically created and we funded. Uh, and, uh, and now Cody's a Marine. Uh, so he's now, the, he's one of the grandsons at Camp Pendleton. Uh, he was like 16 maybe in this picture. And this is little Abby, 
uh, we adopted this girl there and, you know, fund her personally just to do that. But, but it, this had a powerful impact on Cody. Uh, and uh, how many of you are parents or grandparents? Raise your hands if you're parents or grandparents. It's super important that you somehow find a way to inject into your children, um, you know, missiology, like the mission of God. Uh, and, you know, you can do that in a lot of different ways. You could go on the house build on Memorial Day next year where we sent, like, all those people and whatever. But th this, is just, this is just the way it works in discipleship. Like, she will grow up and be a mighty woman of God. Why? Because we funded it. That's the why. That's the how it happened. How does it happen? That's how it happens. So you guys are having an incredible impact. So before we receive the offering, I want to uh, show you a video from Robert and Pastor Robert, who's our executive pastor, and, and just the functionality of it, okay? So lean into this. So I hope you were inspired by today's message and by the stories that you were able to hear today. I know I was, and I'm just telling you that there is so much that we get to do here at New Break through Kingdom Builders. Now, if you're new to New Break, Kingdom Builders is simply the way we see building God's kingdom here on earth, as Jesus said, as it is in heaven. And so I hope you were inspired, but here's the part that I need you to play. And that is, I want to challenge you now to give, to be a part of Kingdom Builders through generosity, through our giving. And so that may look different for you and may look different for other people, but what is your part? That's the part I want you to kind of have a conversation with God, and maybe if you're married with your spouse, what is your part? Now, some of you maybe have never given to Kingdom Builders, and so that might be just kind of dipping your toe in and getting started. And so maybe that looks like five bucks a week or $25 a month. And that's great. It's a great place to start. For some of you, maybe it's matching your Starbucks budget. Whatever it is you spend monthly on Starbucks, that you would match that and give that same amount to Kingdom Builders. Some of you have started this journey, and so maybe for you, you're kind of already doing that. So what about your cable and internet bill? Matching what normally you pay to cable and internet, you pay that dollar amount to Kingdom Builders as a monthly pledge. Now, for some of you, I would encourage you that maybe you're doing that already, so what's the next step for you on your generosity journey? Maybe it's matching your car payment, or even going another step further, your mortgage or rent payment. What you pay monthly, you would then give that same amount to Kingdom Builders. Well, that's the journey that Lisa and I are on. We wanna get through 2020 to the place where what we give above and beyond our tithes, which is 10% that we give to the local church, above and beyond that, we wanna match our mortgage, our monthly mortgage uh, payment, and give that same amount to Kingdom Builders. Now, wherever you're starting, for me, it's, it's what I want to encourage you is start. Begin the journey somewhere. And so we have these cards that are on your chair, and I want you to take this card and look at it. And some of you are prepared to give. We're going to receive an offering in just a minute at our campuses. And uh, you can do it that way. You can write a check and put it in the offering plate as it comes by. If you're not prepared to give today, that's why we created these cards. I want you to take this home. And on it shows the goal that we have, 120000 that we want to raise between now and the end of the year and to do some of these great projects. And by the way, it's not just some of the great projects we have now. There are so many other projects that we feel God has called us to. So it doesn't just stop here. We have a bunch of other things that if we don't give, they won't happen. 
And so I want you to take this card home and on it, we'll, it talks about the four different uh, kind of projects that we're doing right now that uh, we wanted you to pray about. Uh, we talked about them a few weeks ago and then two of them today. But the goal of this card is for you to take it home as you leave the church that you're at, whatever campus you're at, that you go home and you pray about it. You take this card and you look at it. And then log online because there's different ways you can give. You can bring your offering next week and put it in, you know, as a check or you can go online and create an account, whatever that looks like for you. But this is meant to remind you because if you're like me, I get busy, I go home, I forget. And so I want you to be able to do that. But my prayer is that you don't leave this weekend and go, that was a great story, and then forget. Ask God, what would he have you do? And let's together build the kingdom of God. God bless you. That was good, huh? Now look, uh, one practical thing as we're preparing for the offering, you have to mark, you know, online, most of us give online, you have to mark what's kingdom builders and what's tithes. Because we have to know and we want to honor the clarity of that. So just so you're aware. And you can put KB. Uh, they know what that means. A lot of you do that. So you, you can just put KB on it. But, but you just need to articulate it clearly so that we get. We want to do what you do, I guess. That's what I'm trying to say. So, so just so you're clear, okay? So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what you're doing, not only in us, but through us to the ends of the earth. Lord, just like in the Great Commission. Like, that we'll go to the ends of the earth, and you'll be there with us also. And so, Lord, by extension of our giving, we go to the ends of the earth. We go to Peru, we go to Africa, Liberia, where we're doing the whole water project, Lord. We're giving potable water to every person in the country of Liberia, Lord. That's like a miracle. So, uh, whatever, Lord, in, in the daughter project, in child hope, Lord, you're using us to change our world. That is what you do. So bless us as we do so. Speak to us over the coming weeks about what we ought to do and be, you know, talk to us, Lord. Clarify for us. We want wisdom. We want clarity from you of what, what we ought to be doing. And we want to always do that. Lord, help us not to just become rote in our giving, like a little ritual. Not that rituals are necessarily bad, but they can become troublesome. So help us to be spirit-led in these things. Just to be spirit-led and spirit-empowered as we do these things. So we pray it, ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys.